Hi folks, welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. And this week, we have Christopher Nolt, founder and CEO of Growth, on the pod to talk about balancing small teams and sustainable growth. He shares his point of view on the HubSpot ecosystem and the opportunities that exist for small services providers and how best to carve out your piece of the HubSpot pie. Chris also walks us through how his team navigated the transition from traditional marketing agency to revenue generation and ops consultancy, a move that I know many partners are either thinking about or actively doing themselves today, including Chris's actionable insights for others to apply to their own organizations. And we then get into sales, where we learn about how growth's sales efforts have evolved over time and the approaches and methodologies the growth team uses today when actively prospecting, generating and connecting with leads, and working deals through their pipeline. And as a HubSpot partner specifically, we wrap with the resources Chris has found to be most valuable and impactful for his organization's growth and his recommendations for others looking to reach the next stage of their own growth trajectory. Agency Unfiltered starts right now. Chris, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How are we doing? <laughs> Very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's uh, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, now, I know we're talking a little bit today about both small teams, uh, but also sustainable growth, achieving the desired level of growth, speed of growth. Um, but I'd be remiss to start digging right into this stuff without first gaining some context into who you are right? Who growth marketing firm is. Uh, and so why don't you just give us a lay of the land? Also, where are you dialing in from? I am in Monterey, California, and I'm the founder of growth. I know it's a rough place to work, but we do it. You know, we gotta do what we gotta do. Uh, I just, yeah, I never, I, I never love hearing, you know, I, I don't like having folks on from like California in certain pockets. Cause like, they're just like always in beautiful, perfect weather. And like, we're either like nasty nasty weather in Boston, or it's just like way overly humid and like not enjoyable in the least bit. So, uh, uh I should have got, I should have, I should have checked on locale before getting in. I gotta get rag to ours. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I have um, beautiful things to do. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go paddle board and like surf and like eat some fresh tacos. But, uh, but Chris, why don't you give me the lowdown or give our uh, listeners the lowdown who you are, who growth is, um, but then also too, just, you know, we talked about small teams. So give us a sense of uh, the size and scope of, of growth today. Yeah, that's great. So I am the founder of growth. Um, we have two offices, one in Orlando, Florida, and one in Monterey, California, where I am now. Um, we provide growth operations services. Um, we have been a marketing agency and as I'm sure we'll uncover, there's reasons for why we don't consider ourselves that anymore. <laughs> Um, we have 12 full-time right? You know, uh, we're 12 full-time team members now. We've got a few job postings up. We're growing and we've been a HubSpot partner for a little over three years, currently a diamond solutions partner. That's great, man. And you know, uh, uh, it must feel great to be able to say you're the founder of growth. Like you, you have invented growth 
you know, uh, not as an <laughs> agency, but as like a concept for your business, like any business. That's that's uh, you must have a little bit of enjoyment of that. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think it's um, yeah, it's really cool. It was really nice when HubSpot put the word growth in the middle of the flywheel. That was a nice. Uh, <laughs> That was a nice day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh my, yeah. It's, you know, you can't oh. even, you know, wish upon a star for alignment like that. It's great. Right. Uh, so, so Chris, let me ask you this. Maybe it's the best oh. place to get started. Uh, what's your point of view, right, on existing solutions partners or prospective partners, right, who who consider themselves small teams, uh, and taking a look at the opportunities that may exist in the HubSpot ecosystem? So, do you feel that right now there's a place for small teams, and if so, you know, what are your recommendations for them to carve out their piece of the HubSpot pie? You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And so just to be honest, my perspective on small teams uh, is over- overwhelmingly positive. Having started with a team of just three people, I'm pretty confident in saying that small teams absolutely have a place inside this ecosystem. And there's a ton of opportunity. Uh, first and foremost, advice I have for small teams is to like give, 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 and then you'll get Initially, it took a lot of going above and beyond a traditional workday for us to grow. Um, this is kind of the nature of growth itself. We provided value, shared insights, uh, supported others in the ecosystem before we saw immediate returns. This act of giving, uh, both in terms of time and energy, is fundamental to cultivating relationships and establishing a reputation, which I think is uh, how people, most people, I think, in the HubSpot ecosystem like know of me and of growth. Yeah, I was going to say, what does uh, what is supporting others in the ecosystem? What does that tend to look like, at least for for you and growth? A lot of LinkedIn communication. Uh, the HubSpot Partners has a Facebook group um, yeah. that's very active. Um, I've really found myself in the beginning spending a lot of time answering questions. I mean, I am class of COVID, as I say. So we started in the the brunt of that, oh, yeah. uh, which is one of the fuels for why we have changed so much in such a short period of time. So it mm-hmm. felt second nature. I've been in like uh, experience marketing, brand in hand marketing for so long, big brands and small, like helping people get their message out was second nature. So it sounds like active participation in the existing channels, pockets of the community. Um, but it also, it's like knowledge sharing, insight sharing, like kind of communicating out what seems to be working well for you and your team for others to, to, to borrow or try to apply to themselves. Yeah. That was it. You know, we, I, I felt, I knew a lot. I feel like I know a lot more now, but any area I could help. Um, I just tried to do that. I'm an Eagle scout, shameless plug. And just like <laughs> the, the, uh, that nature of just like genuinely caring was not intentional to be on like how we grew our brand, but it did end up working out pretty well. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to fake, uh, you know, if you're not authentic, like if you're not truly driven by that, by that ethos, you know, um, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think the next important part is focusing on your strengths. Um, we leveraged our core competencies and a lot of that was uh, marketing and continually pivoted as we navigated through our own growth journey. Um, carving out a piece of the pies and just about establishing a niche. Um, it's about maximizing the skills and experiences that make your team unique. You know, uh, we, for, land, we, we talk uh, about this in every episode. Oh, just a quick, it's just important to call out. It comes up every episode. You are team niche, not niche. I need to, I keep tallies. So that's good. <laughs> I believe Dan Tyre will talk more about that later. 
Uh, but I definitely cut you off. But I, I do like the point of uh, core competencies, right? Leaning into them. Uh, I, maybe a, a question on that. How do you get a sense of when your core competencies need to evolve or change? Or like, hey, there's a missing component that we need to add as a core competency. And how do you kind of develop, you know, how do you develop that, right? Or develop that skill across the team? I know there's like four questions unpacked in that. But hopefully you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I think I get it. How do you know when you need to grow, maybe? Um, I think so. We talk, you talked a little bit about mentality and like the... Uh, like authenticity. We knew we needed to grow because we saw the needs of our customers changed. I mean, has HubSpot changed immensely in the last 15 or so years? Yeah, insanely, right? And mm -hmm. as we talk more, I'm sure more of this kind of uh, narrative will pop up. But I had been a part of a marketing agency for like 15 years before becoming a HubSpot partner, uh, an owner in the whole life. What HubSpot gave me was just like, and not to shamelessly plug HubSpot, this whole thing, but it's a safe place to do that. Just, you know? yeah. <laughs> right. Like, uh, but the amount of information, I felt like I was in the matrix and like day one, I was Neo, like empty yeah. room yeah. and then just rafters of information and data. And Hey, did you know this? And, uh, some of the people that spoke and agency unfilters I watched when I first started, um, have become people that I work with and communicate with frequently. Great. Pretty cool. Well, actually, it's, cool it's, a, it's a good, it's a good connection to like, okay, when you need to know you, uh, when you identify the opportunity to evolve or to add to your core competencies or to take another look at your existing strengths, sounds like HubSpot, when you join the program offers an immense amount of resources, tools, strategies, you know, help to, to, to guide that. But like, how did you to start or how do you do it now? How do you navigate? I know there's a lot and I would imagine a lot of partners feel similar to the matrix metaphor. So it's like, how do you orient yourself and navigate what to use, where to find it, how to use it? You know what I mean? It's a really good question. I think there's like an, a little bit of required intuitive in, intuitiveness, but I'm also just like somebody that when I'm 10 years ago, when I hit 30, I was like, I know I need to be better. And so like iteration, is just part of who I am whether I was doing rugby or running a marketing agency or performing a campaign, I've just always have this itch to just one up myself all the time. It's exhausting, but I, I think that's uh, pretty much the, one of the core DNA pieces of growth is finding people that have the energy for that. Yeah. It's also <laughs> just intrinsic. Yeah. It's just, it has to be kind of baked into your DNA in some way. Are there any so. particular resources that you found uh, like that you would prioritize to the top of the list. Like, man, this was the most impactful for us, found it to be most valuable. Here is where I recommend other partners to, to spend their time and energy if they don't already. Yes. So the resources that have been most impactful for growth uh, aren't necessarily specific tools and materials, but more mindsets. Which mm -hmm. is, I'm kind of a hit hippie, but openness to iteration an open mind to new ideas, being open to new building new relationships, and the confidence to identify personal shortcomings. Uh, those have been our most invaluable resources. That being said, there are some uh, practical resources that have certainly helped along the way. Um, from an organizational transformation perspective, from a marketing agency to a HubSpot partner, the partner resource library provided by HubSpot is vast and deep. I don't know where it's, a, there's a lot. 
depth and breadth, you know? Sure. <laughs> There's just so much stuff. And then, um, and it's just, I felt like they just gave me this key. And of course, new HubSpot partners will see this, that like you have a pretty curated start. Um, but there's also like, hey, if you want to go explore, go ahead. And as I said, that's kind of my second nature. Um, from the sales perspective, Dan Tyre's Pipeline Generation Bootcamp was essential and ended up creating the backbone, which is like one of our core services, which is helping companies generate new business. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Dan. But really that Pipeline Generation Bootcamp from the curriculum to the formatting, um, to the organization, to the community it built um, was fantastic. I also would love to shout out a more recent resource. Uh, Peter Caputa, I think is yep, his yeah, name. Caputa. Yep. So he's the CEO of Databox and connecting more information to more data has been really helpful. And then as I gloated about him and like a partner group I'm in, uh, I had no real, like I didn't understand that he even, he helped create the HubSpot partner. He program. found it. Right? Yeah, yeah, he found That's, it. Yeah. I'm like shamelessly plugging him in a meeting. I, I like and that we're connecting like, those dots for you in real time on this is great. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Blown away. So, I okay. mean, the reality is there's people resources, there's, you know, document resources, and then you and your intuition and desire to grow, I think, are mentality and mindsets or resources that are important. Yeah, I like the categorical kind of how you just outlined it, but it's like, all right, there's the mindset that you need to carry, the people that you need to collaborate with, talk to, learn from, and there's the assets and resources that you should seek out and leverage, right? So it's like you triangulate those three things and and you're setting yourself up for success. And then love the plug for Dan Tire, uh, friend of the pod. We're big fans of Dan in the Lion community and the Pipeline Generation Bootcamp. Like you want to talk about instilling an ethos or a mindset, but then having the runway to practically apply it you know, to scenarios. And, and so anyways, uh, anybody that has making those phone calls, dude, yeah, I yep. did it's accountability. Like it's I accountability. made the calls. And so now I, I can pass those like lessons. And this was during COVID too. I mean, there are plenty of sleepless nights and I'm not trying to like paint a picture that my narrative was particularly difficult or that it wasn't difficult. Um, it took a lot of work. How many calls was it? I forget. I I remember a hundred, and yeah. I remember just the sheer terror of making those first eighty-seven calls. Yeah, right. First ninety-nine, <laughs> and then the hundredth wasn't too bad. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's up? This is Chris. You didn't know I was calling. Dramatic pause. What? Yeah. No problem. Yeah, I can do yeah. it any day. Well, actually, let's let's get into that. Um, uh, it's a good segue into just your or growths like your teams approach or methodology or process for sales, right? We talked about small teams, obviously growth has seen uh, a degree of growth as well, but like other than making those calls that you learned from the pipeline generation bootcamp, like how else are you actively prospecting or generating leads, connecting with those leads? Like, give me the, give me the lowdown on your methodology and process for sustainable sales. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first recognition is that the, the world's evolving uh, the heart of our sales methodology is the recognition that the power of relationships and the role of technology in enhancing those relationships. And so like, I, I genuinely 100% mean how important relationships are to us and the sales process. So we yeah. believe that while sales is critical for driving growth and generating funds, it goes beyond that. Um, sales is about establishing genuine relationships and providing solutions that align with the client's needs. 
So that, that's kind of, that's Simply a starter, stated, right? Yeah, just plainly stated as such. Yeah, it's like sales. Well, truly underneath it, it's the relationships that matter. How does that, how does that emphasis on relationships actually like manifest itself into your touch points along, we'll say like your sales process or your pipeline, right? Like how do you, how do you embody that or have your team responsible for sales, you know, however it's organized, like how does that pull through? Um, well, we definitely use HubSpot Sales Pro to manage the, the technical aspects, um, but we try to not only listen to the the problem or pain point that the customer is having today, but also how that pain point or problem that we're solving for is part of a bigger conversation around revenue growth, which is kind of the core conversation that we have with our customers. Yeah. No. So it's uh, uh, asking the right questions, maybe to uncover the, the acute pain point. That sounds like what, like correlating it or like attaching it to a much more, it's a symptom to a much larger problem, right? Is that, and that's where you're bringing the value? It sounds like. Yeah. You have a Salesforce, you're not using it. You want to move to HubSpot. Great. But what does that mean? And then once it's set up, how do we um, tie that to marketing, to sales? And, you know, well, I'm sure we'll cover some of those points shortly. Yeah, I know you planted the seed right at the top here about I think like oh. your your evolution or like how you're framing packaging going to market with your services. I do want to hit that in a moment, but actually uh, uh, should have asked this right before the previous question. But how is the sales team or uh, ownership of of sales revenue generation structured amongst your team today, and how has it evolved since you were a team of three? Well, one of the three people in the team of three was Will Davidson, who's still here, and he's our director of sales, and he was our salesperson then. So we both like co-piloted the lead generation bootcamp. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I'm really thankful. As I had mentioned, I've been in the agency game a while, and I'm very aware that um, you need money to grow, or you know, it resource time and time costs money. Mm -hmm. right? So. One of our core three people was part of the sales team. And now at 12, he is the leader of the sales team. Um, but we have some additional um, key members. So Will is our sales director and he's like our gatekeeper, the, the final boss before you get to our inner resources. Um, he brings energy and sociability to the role, like establishing deep connections. I'm laughing because I could almost feel Will in this office with me. He's in Orlando. Because uh, he's just like the guy that loves to meet people, and I am not. Um, Rick Barcelos. Like the right person to have as director of sales. <laughs> We've known each other a long time too. Um, personally, before he got into the business, both as like competitors and friends, so it's it's brought a healthy level of competition. And during some of the harder times and like longer days, it's been nice to like have that connection. Um, we have a really strong BDR. He's a former customer of mine. His name is Rick Barcelos. He's a young guy. He's youthful. He's scrappy um, and really smart. Um, he hail He's the U.S. based, but is from Brazil. So he brings like a real cool level of like diverse, not only like mindset, but mentality. And we also have a, a cool new addition. His name's Rod Said. He's in Dubai and he manages all of our conversations in the Middle East and Northern Africa. Um, we are starting to grow a global presence. And so he facilitates those conversations. No, I love that. Um, yeah, uh, it, sounds like a, it sounds like a great uh, means of kind of, uh, you know, distributing ownership and like responsibilities across a, a sales team of three. How does, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question. How do you take a look at a sales function at a small team? Maybe you were three or when you were still, you know, on your way to 12 today, 
how do you know when to fracture off responsibility into its own dedicated hire or like owner on the team? You know what I mean? Like how far along the journey until, man, we need to have a singular, you know, function responsible for biz dev, right? Your BDR. You probably would get a different answer from like our CFO. Um, <laughs> but for me, it was like when Will couldn't carry the prospecting, managing the conversation and handoff, there became a time where you couldn't show up to the customer fully Present. try to catch it right. Yeah. Right before that point. Um, so like the way it kind of works is Rick is out um, researching companies that fit our ICP and saying hello. If they say hello back, he's able to have a short conversation and essentially qualify if what they're looking for or what we see they could potentially be interested in is a fit. And then the conversation moves to level two, which is a discovery call with Will and then uh, and Rod in the same sense, but in a different part of the world. And Will facilitates the discovery, validates, gets some of the important piece of information we need. And then we're really big on bringing in a solutions engineer to the conversation. And so we don't have a dedicated solutions engineer right now. We have leaders in each of the services that we offer. So um, Grant Carlisle, I'm really excited. This will be the first time I say this publicly, is our new director of operations. He's been around a couple months. We haven't even put that online yet. Um, he's the man. He's so awesome. So anytime someone's talking big picture stuff, he pops in and he's like a mirror board monster. Just absolutely amazing. He helps map it. He'll consultate with me and we'll present the plan. It's working out really well. Um, if someone's looking for more, we really love HubSpot CMS and really enjoy building the bigger, the better. Um, so we have a really great front end developer named Jerry, who's, uh, ex-military and has this superpower, which we did not expect this at the beginning to really understand the behind the scenes parts of the website and how it can be yeah. a bigger picture. Um, we have Katrina on it. Just pretty much everybody has a secondary role where they can pop into Love a that. sales call and reduce the lift for that person because they have a primary responsibility. So Will takes good notes, hands it off clearly it's as best as you can anyway. Chris, I love the, uh, the sh almost like the shared ownership across the team or just like kind of that secondary responsibility from anyone to be able to participate, get involved and make contributions to to sales conversations and open opportunities. I love that. Thank you. It, it does take a lot of responsibility on Will to minimize the impact to the person whose job is not to sell, right? So what is his understanding of the problem? That's iterative as well. In the beginning, it was not fun. We've got a pretty smooth process now. And when you do it that way, you can take advantage of these really amazing team members, bring them into the sales conversation and let them do their magic, which is hopefully something they're passionate about. And that helps the sales process too. Big fan, pro solutions engineer. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the solutions engineer piece. Obviously also the news about Grant Carlisle joining the team. Sounds like a great addition for growth. Um, now you said solutions engineer, anybody that, you know, has talked to me in the past or listens to what I got going on, care deeply about establishing the HubSpot architect function, specifically at partner orgs. You may, I, hopefully, I'm making the right hypothesis here. You see them one and the same, but again, a plus one to the value of an architect or architecture function. Plus 7 million. It's important for two reasons. Uh, well, maybe more than two reasons, but we'll start with two. Expectation setting, right? The second thing is uh, 
architects, engineers work off of building blueprints, right? So before you can do this complex thing, someone should map it or create an engineering plan. And so we love Miro and we use Miro to make yeah. physical versions of the plan we're going to make. And I say it like, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, we've been doing that for ages. We had not. We just used a lot of bullet points and like bolded words and uh, for years, like a plus a decade. So switching to this dial has made the conversation smoother. It's made it easier for us to find champions inside the organizations and for them to share what we've been telling them with leadership, which, you know, I'm sure all of us have a little bit of a sales experience that makes life so much easier, especially for some you know, old, old school types, if you will. Yeah. Now I love that this transition to like visuals is relatively new. It's probably something many can, can empathize with and are actively seeking to do the same. I know, you know, entity relationship diagrams is, a, is obviously a common kind of asset or deliverable, but any sort of like visualization, data mapping, architecture, like just being able to visualize that in something like Miro, uh, it, it makes a ton of sense. Any, any recommendations, any tips, how can others looking to move in that direction, avoid scraping their knees when they try and roll it out for their own internal use? You know, any tips there? Scrape your knees. I think that's the first thing is get comfortable falling just like your first couple of times of a skateboard, if that was ever your journey. Um, but start simple. Don't make the most complex graphic. Like start with what you know to be the starting point or to be the end point and then work it back. Don't add all your arrows connecting everything until you've dropped all the bubbles and then you can move them around and it doesn't need to look pretty. Um, by your, just like the first time you use any tool or platform, it's rarely for most comfortable to use the tool. But once you start with your own company and things that you know inside and out, get a hang of it and then you can scale it. And then you will look like such a boss at a sales call where you draft up a mirror board and you could just paint this picture in front of them. It's a lot of fun. I mean, so scraping the knees is worth it to your point, because I mean, it, it sounds like it's bringing uh, a ton of value into the sales process. It's resonating with prospects and those on the receiving end of these things. So it's, it's been a major, again, I'm, I'm posturing. It's kind of a leading question, but it's, it sounds like it's been a major value add into the process major value add. It's allowed us to passively increase prices. It's allowed us to speed things up. It's given us a lot of new levers that we didn't have before. How much like of like the architectural, sorry. I was like, how much of the architectural work in like the real under the hood kind of mapping and visualization, how much of that happens pre-sales versus like gated behind an entry point? You know what I mean? Whether it's a one-time fee to get started or otherwise, right? At this point, we rarely charge for the mapping. We feel because of the, we learned so much so quickly with, and Grant brought a whole experience with this tool to the table, but it's as intuitive as me telling you about sales operations or this conversation is right now. So we don't feel it's necessary to charge for it because it's part of the conversation. How are we going to show up and give you a plan that's 50, 100 X thousand dollars? and not have taken the time to present the plan. Do, do, do a few people not accept it? Yes, but then were they really your ICP? Did you really find that like, right? So that's what Rick and um, that's what they're for. Yep. And again, it goes back right at the top of the, uh, the, the conversation here. You're like, hey, like kind of a, our general mindset is give and then you're allowed to get. And so this, you know, I feels like plugs into that, that mindset too, right? 
Yeah, worst case scenario, you just mapped a solution and now you're going to be a little bit better at mapping that solution next time. It's <laughs> a good way to think about it. And, you know, Chris, I, we, we, we teed it up and we kind of jumped into some of like the, maybe like the ways in which it's impacted the conversations and the deliverables you bring into your sales process. But this feels like it plugs into the sentiment that you, at least growth, has been trying to transition away from like that marketing agency or marketing firm label. So let's actually take a step back and talk more about uh, how you're seeking to evolve both your services and your service offerings, but like your own go-to-market and framing within the ecosystem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's pretty much uh, all I think about. So growth is very much in the midst of this transition that we're talking about. And I'd say we're about 40% of the way through the transformation. Um, and that transformation is moving from being a traditional marketing agency to being an operations-focused organization where our core services revolve around marketing operations, sales operations, website operations, and revenue operations. And the best case scenario is some blend of the four. Um, from my experience, making this transition requires a shift in how you think about your service offerings. Instead of selling deliverables, you start selling the service of building processes that drive outcomes, i.e. mirror boards. Uh, this fundamental shift allows you to focus more on strategic long-term growth instead of getting caught up in the deliverables, which I know most of us have experienced. <laughs> Harder said than done. And so what does it, uh, have you seen, I mean, I know you're only 40% of the way kind of through this transition uh, by, by your calculation. Have you started to see, let me know if it's too early to tell or not, like, is it elongating engagements, deepening, improving price points, margins? Like, are we, are we feeling that already? The branding element is 40% forty percent through oh, the transition. Okay. The service offerings is about 85. I oh, have right. a couple old like government contracts and like we call them friends of the family, people that have been clients for a decade that yeah. will not let go yeah. of some of the, the tasks that we do for them. And that's okay. It's like starter fuel for new employees, um, like a safe place to play type situation. Yeah, it makes sense. So, but we, from our, when we decided to make this change, Grant again, huge part of this, but he started to see tidbits. He started as a consultant for us. Um, we just started changing the narrative of the conversation one conversation at a time. We're like, oh, this one doesn't look like it will be a fit. Let's try that one just because worst case scenario, we didn't get the deal. We didn't think we were going to get that <laughs> anyway. It's a good way to like select who are we going to stress test this like new, new talk track with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you probably maybe see a recurring theme where like hard work and iteration is very much who I am. I do not try to paint a story that this was easy or fast. Um, it took a yeah. lot of effort from a lot of people imagine. now. Yeah. How yeah. did you, knowing it's not so easy to roll out, uh, it's laborious, it's long-tailed, what was the, I don't know, not the straw that broke the camel's back, but like, what was that, what was that moment in time that you're like, okay, it is now time and we need to think about evolving both our branding and positioning, but the, the types of services that we offer? Well, I have a very specific memory of Connor Jeffers. Connor's great. He's one of those people that I am able to connect with now. But he did a going up market conversation during COVID and talked about how he was implementing solutions rather than doing deliverables. And I was excited and frustrated at the same time. I closed my laptop and almost threw it out of my window. <laughs> but the reason why was because the way he positioned it was so obvious and so casual, but so right. That was the first light switch. All of the things that happened prior to the boot camps, the 
playing with the HubSpot ecosystem. And then myself being in marketing and always having to show up for this. But what about the sales? It's like, you didn't hire me to do sales. You hired me to do the marketing portion. And that can look a bunch of different ways. That cloud or whatever, that universe pointed to, we need more KPIs. We need to talk about sales because ultimately it doesn't matter what contract they sign. We're going to be a part of that conversation if the outcome is good or bad. Um, and that's how the evolution started. So shout out Connor. Yeah, no, uh, we've had Connor on the pod, friends with uh, Connor Jeffers, the app is a good dude. Great dudes. Um, uh, so we're 85% of the way to like the, the servicing component, 40% of the way through the branding. So my read there is like, you should start with evaluating, auditing and evolving your services ahead of thinking about how you're going to posture and speak to it more publicly. Uh, what's, how do we get started? If someone's tuning in today and being like, it's long overdue, or I'm, I'm not up to 85%, but I'm, I'm hoping to make more progress. Like recommendations there on, on where and how to get started, how to how to be efficient, effective at doing this. I my strategy is I still start with a mirror board and a blank Google Doc, and I I really just try to start from the top and break it into bullet points, and I use that document to create the mirror board. And it one I'm happy to help. So if anyone's thinking about this transition, let me know. Two, start very simply. If you're doing core marketing services. You know that the deliverables are difficult. You also have probably seen the change in the landscape that more companies are trying to bring those deliverable creators internally. AIs change the game. I mean, like all these tools that make things more efficient have helped a lot. So companies want to reduce that deliverable cost, which makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. why not get paid for your expertise? And hey, you're really passionate about inbound? Pay us X and we will build your inbound system inside HubSpot for you. And then there's a residual where we'll look at your reports and we'll provide feedback on how you can improve. And, you know, this conversation blends well when you're moving up market. So like not Joe's pizza shop, but Joe's corporate pizza chain, maybe. Um, And so there's a marketing manager. And so essentially you're turning them into a superstar being like, here's what the data says. We know you have access to it, but we also know like who really wants to look at that. We do here's what your team should be doing to improve next month or next quarter. Yep. Yep. No, I love the framing there. Uh, and then to your, to your point uh, about the, the move up market, have you based on the rolling out and like the re that the redesigning of your services, you mentioned the four buckets of, of operations uh, like consultancy, have you changed the ICP that you give your biz dev guy to like start seeking out? So are, are you yourself starting to, to prospect out up market? Yes, I think we may have started too early. Like we did that transition very much in the beginning of COVID. Because why not? Like we had, we'd gone through a huge, huge evolution. Google that; it's fun. Um, but it's yeah. It, the the long story of that question is yes. I think focus on who you want to sell to, and then you can maybe evolve your services towards that area. So you don't need to. Uh, push your current offerings and people away at first. So this is almost like a whole new vertical, a whole new conversation. Get some practice runs in. Don't be afraid Don't to scrape your Don't wait for the service offering to be fully baked and solidified as a gating Perfect. mechanism to begin prospecting if that's the ICP you're looking to move up into. That's just a good mindset in general. Like always avoid fixed mindset situations where mm-hmm. something has to be perfect in order to do the next thing. Because why? Because a perfection does not exist. And then second, like you are ruining the best part of it, which is iterating. So like 
we use none of us at growth are rugby players except for myself but i played for forever and there's a mentality in rugby where you literally have to pick the ball up and run with it there's a duality to that which means in order to do that safely and confidently your team has to be able to clean up any mess that you create and that mentality um, is iteration it is the growth mindset and that's probably like the core of who we are we're all a bunch of rugby players. No, we're just all not afraid to pick up the ball and run with it. Yep. No, I love that. Uh, and rugby players <laughs> don't have helmets on. They're maniacs. I know the you know American football, NFL. They got to put you know safety gear on. So, yeah, rugby players are maniacs. I got uh, a, I got a few bumps and bruises along. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, um, Chris. I know we're coming up on time. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my final question in a moment. But you 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 kind of like propped open this door a little bit. So I'm gonna kick it down. You mentioned generative AI, obviously it's implications for like deliverable based services. Uh, but give me your take, man, generative AI, how's growth thinking about it? Where is it being incorporated into your processes? If at all, I mean, I'd be remiss to not ask, right? Great question. So, um, so many ways. So like one, I have a open chat GPT window that I've been feeding for months. So it can, it's almost my personal assistant when, we first talked about having me on the podcast. I used it to bounce some questions off me so I could practice answering. Um, really helpful tool. It rewrote my LinkedIn bio and helps me answer complex questions without having to tap any other resources. We're very fortunate to have a really skilled professional running our copywriting. She's now able to oversee far more copywriting uh, deliverables for ourselves and then our customers than she was prior. Um, we use it to help with code, with CMS. I mean, it's a it's an assistant. I think the biggest evolution in the past couple of months is the understanding that you get in, you get out what you put in. So if you prompt a, tell me the story of LinkedIn, you may get an entirely different result if you ask it why you want that story, how it's going to be used. And so it's really teaching people effective communication. <laughs> right, the, skill, the skill that we all need to build is like prompt writing, right? Like if you're a good prompt author, like, man, you're going to be able to really, you know, realize the benefits of, of AI, right? Yeah. And MidJourney has like, you know, like V4, like weird Cody type prompting. But when you're talking to like a, an AI, like ChatSpot or ChatGPT. Like conversational. You, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so good. And then again, the uptick of effective communication as a byproduct is amazing it's a it's a good counterbalance from all of the content we're all about to like read and watch and see that is all through chat gpt tone outputs you know what i mean so at least we're all going to be better communicators while we consume all that content so that's good. yeah i try yeah. to like bounce my curation off it like as a tape but i'm not like copying and pasting no and that's statement. the right way to do it and you know it's like yeah. it's, a, it's an augmentation tool it's an enrichment tool right? It helps create the improved and larger capacity, like you mentioned, to take on more, you know, content-based projects. But but yeah, it's not the actual final deliverable itself, right? 100%. And be transparent about its use and how you're using it. That's super important because it can be wrong. So you got to fat check. So it doesn't, yes. Yep. 100%. So many things. Um, all right, Chris, we're out of time. So I'm going to squeeze in one last question for you. We wrap every episode uh, the same way. What's the strangest part of agency life? <laughs> I think the strangest part of agency life for me is finding a, a healthy life. I love what I do a lot and it's hard for me to shut off, which is one of the reasons I live in Monterey and go hiking in the Redwoods. It makes it easier. There's no cell phone reception, but even then I'm thinking about how these universes connect. So I think balance is the answer to that question. 
Yeah, I like that. And go to places where you can't get cell service, so you can't like you know, <laughs> you can continue to check Slack or whatever. Yeah, it's more. That's growth ops. Yes, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Um, great answer and great conversation. Appreciate you kind of pulling the curtain back, teaching us a little bit about what's going on with growth. Uh, you've scaled and grown from three to twelve. Evolved your sales processes and strategies. Evolved your servicing capabilities. Uh, obviously, heard some announcements for some new team members, and so, anyways. It's been a pleasure. Super insightful. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. You've helped a lot of people out, me included. I appreciate it. And so uh, for everyone that's tuned in, appreciate your listenership. And this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered. 